Well, it's good to have you here this morning. If you didn't, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give away a couple axes here a little bit later, so if you didn't get a raffle ticket, unless you don't want one, that's all right too, but uh, I got a couple of them here. I've got some fun stuff for the next time. We're not gonna do raffle next time. I've got another uh, sinister plan uh, at work uh, for next time, so that'll be fun. Um, but uh, uh, what we're gonna do, um, you know, these ironworks, uh, I love getting together with the brothers and just, um, you know, just once in a while kind of chipping away at some of the stuff that we as guys uh, per- perhaps need to hear more than just the general congregational stuff. And, and um, you know, one of the things about um, being a man in this culture is we're living in a strange day. Uh, you know, I'm not even sure Uh, If there's ever been a time in history past where, you know, uh, a large group of the population was saying, being a man, well, that's the problem. Men are the problem. Uh, Just being a man, toxic masculinity and all this stuff that people are talking about, you know, misogyny and all this stuff that, you know, has happened in our culture. And and men behaving badly hasn't helped that, uh, that whole thing. And and so um, I love that the word, um, you know, a lot of guys, I think what, what happens with culture is it swings back and forth, you know, and we go through this fad or fancy or whatever, and it kind of comes and goes. But I love the anchor of the word. The word tells us how we're to act, what we're to do. Um, and it's so good to reset and rethink um, some of those things. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a New York family that bought a ranch out west um, where they intended to raise cattle, uh, friends visited and asked, uh, you know, if the ranch had a name. Well, said the would-be cattleman, um, I wanted to name it the Bar J, um, but my wife wanted the uh, Susie Q, my son wanted the Flying W, and um, the other child wanted the Lazy Y. So we ended up calling the Bar J, Susie Q, Flying W, Lazy Y. And uh, they said, but where are all your cattle? And the friends you know, asked that, and he said, well, none survived the branding. <laughs> when we uh, settle uh, and make compromise and say, well, let's just kind of do this and include everything and comp- make compromise, oftentimes the results are uh, a catastrophe. And one of the things about um, you know, our, our world today is um, you know, compromise is the way of the enemy. I believe what we're seeing today didn't just happen overnight. Um, sometimes it feels that way. The stuff that we're seeing in our culture uh, about just the crazy stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's so much crazy today. Um, and it feels like it just happened in the last two years, but I, I suggest that it's been creeping in for quite some time. And actually, there's some pretty huge evidence that the world has, has had a, a, a long-term plan. There's interesting groups that are extremely patient, I've noticed. Uh, and they'll just, they've come up with a, a plan to sort of corrupt cultures and people groups and even nations. Um, I think the United States, uh, what we're seeing now and the weakening of our country, uh, morally or uh, other, all the other, you know, perhaps conditions of our country, um, one of the things is, I, I believe there's been group, groups of people, really, that want to see the weakening of, of our country, and, and uh, they've been at it for a long time, just kind of behind the scenes, letting things sort of sneak in, creep in. Um, you know, our educational system is the chiefest of sinners. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I, you know, I have a daughter who's an amazing teacher in public school. 
Um, it's been tough. Uh, you know, it's tough watching stuff happen. You know, she, she is a teacher in a school that's not uh, extremely progressive uh, in a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, maybe 10 years behind some of the West Lynn, well, you know, um, the school or Lake Oswego, they're more cutting edge crazy. But um, sorry if you're a teacher there, but we'll pray for you. Uh, but because, uh, uh, man, you're going to need it. But, um, but even this, you know, um, so my daughter's a fifth grade teacher and the boys came running in, Miss Matter. Um, and, uh, and, and they said, it's crazy. And, 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 uh, and, and my, my daughter, teacher, she said, uh, what's crazy? And um, they installed the tampon you know, dispensers in the boys' bathroom in an elementary school. Uh, and, and I don't know if you know this, but that's happened all in the state of Oregon. Like it, and, and the teachers weren't told. <laughs> like, like even the principal wasn't told at the school. Uh, it was just one of those things where suddenly a handyman showed up and chink, stuck these things in the bathrooms and then left the teachers just to deal with it. Um, what, a, what a crazy world we're living in. But, but that didn't happen overnight. You know, the, the education, uh, you know, the, the, the whole system, uh, colleges and universities, like there's been a long-term plan to corrupt and just slowly get the culture to compromise just inch by inch. And that's the way of the enemy. The enemy wants compromise. And so when we settle with compromise, we end up in trouble. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, uh, in Exodus chapter eight, nine, and 10, there's a interesting description of compromise and there's some typology. In the Bible, the Old Testament is so fun. Uh, you know, we're in the New Testament now, which is great. And we'll refer back to the Old Testament often. Uh, even as when we were in the Old Testament, we referred to the New Testament because, you know, that which was pictured in the Old Testament is spoken of plainly in the New Testament. And that which is in the New Testament spoken plainly, there's illustrations and stories that sort of depict those New Testament truths. And, and I love that. And those types in the Old Testament are really helpful. We'll, we'll see that here in Exodus. Pharaoh, Egypt, the children of Israel, all um, uh, interesting examples of what I'm talking about here. Uh, you know, Pharaoh has an agenda and he's wanting to seek compromise. And he's wanting to sort of inch by inch cause the children of Israel to compromise and make little judgments that might seem like a good deal at the time, but really would not have been. And so we're gonna kind of take a look at that. By the way, you know, what's Webster's Dictionary? Uh, you know, the word compromise. Well, as it turns out, there's kind of a good compromise, I would call maybe even a wise compromise uh, versus an unwise compromise. The first definition, definition number one, to come to agreement by mutual concession. And sometimes you have to compromise uh, in business deals and stuff. You gotta kinda you know, uh, work that over. <laughs> and that's sometimes tricky. Um, but the, the, um, the, the second definition is to make a shameful or disreputable concession. And that's the one I'm talking about. Um, you know, when you uh, concede in an area that you should have stood your ground, um, that's the kind of unwise compromise that I'm gonna be talking about. Um, <laughs> compromise, whether it's wise or unwise, sometimes that's a tricky dis discussion, isn't it? Knowing when things, when should you give a little bit or when should you stand your ground? And I know some guys that are just Im immovable to a fault where they won't compromise one tiny little bit. And that can actually hurt, hurt a guy. So, you know, there is, there is the wise compromise. Back in 1931, Irving Thalberg of MGM, back in the 30s, decided he wanted to buy the film rights to the Tarzan, um, you know, story written by Edgar Rice Burroughs. So 
Thalberg sent a guy named Sam Marks to negotiate with Burroughs, telling Marks, uh, don't spend more than $100,000, which in 1931, that was a huge amount of money, giant, you know, buying this story or whatever. Um, but Marks uh, contacted Burroughs and asked how much he wanted for the film rights. Um, and the guy said, well, $100,000, said Burroughs. Uh, and when Marks offered him $25,000, Burroughs walked out of the meeting, left the room. Um, however, Marks and Burroughs continued to negotiate throughout the summer. They kept kind of going back and forth. And Burroughs eventually settled for $40,000 uh, selling Tarzan's story. Um, after signing the contract, Burroughs uh, admitted sort of smugly that he, um, he really wanted MGM and Thalberg to actually make the picture so badly that they could have probably negotiated, uh, and if they really insisted, he said, Mr. Burroughs, um, if, 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 we, if you really were, uh, insisted, I would have let you have it for free. Um, well, um, well, Mr. Burroughs replied, Marks, if you had held out, you would have gotten $100,000. <laughs> like, like, isn't it interesting? Uh, that, that's the question, you know, w which way are we going here and where is the wise compromise and, and where is the, the disrespectful, shameful compromise? And, and Satan will use that as one of his devices. One of the things the Bible says, we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, but compromise is in fact one of them. How many of you guys have read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, anybody? Oh yeah, good, lots of you guys. It's really quite a story, but um, um, Uncle Screwtape, uh, it's kind of, a, you know, kind of a picture of what Satan is doing to lure people into hell. It's kind of an amazing sort of story. That, uh, but, but in that, uh, in, he, he talks about this from Uncle Screwtape says this, indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. <laughs> if you know the story, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but he's saying, you know, the, the, the road to hell is, is a gradual one, and it's just little compromise after little compromise that can really mess people up. And so really the, the, the negative compromise or bad compromise means to go just a little bit below what you know is right. Um, and uh, it's just a tiny bit, but it, you know, what, Solomon, didn't he say something about you know, the little foxes are the ones that spoil the vine? It's the little things that mess up the big things. We have this perfect illustration here um, uh, in uh, uh, Exodus chapter uh, eight through 10. Let's take a look. Uh, would you turn with me to Exodus eight, if you haven't already? And we see Satan uh, pictured here by Pharaoh himself. And the first compromise Pharaoh is wanting to do is uh, make them not leave Egypt. And you know, God told Moses, I want you to leave Egypt uh, and I want you to uh, you know, get out of there and worship my holy name with the children of Israel. Um, and, uh, and so you know the story. This is a very uh, you know, normal story that you all know, but compromise number one is found in Exodus chapter eight, verse 25. Uh, it says, there in chapter eight, verse 25, and Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, verse 26, it is not meet to, uh, so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, sh shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? You see, the first compromise 
Pharaoh in this story uh, wants to make is, hey, yeah, 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 you know, Moses said, let my people go. And, and, and Pharaoh says, well, I don't want you to leave, but worship your God, man. We'll, we'll give you some freedom here, some liberty. You know, worship God, but just stay here in uh, Egypt. Now, you guys that know your typology in the Bible, Egypt is a type or a picture of the world. That's one of the, probably the biggest um, uh, you know, types in the Bible. Uh, every time God's people went down to Egypt, it was always a bad thing. They always picked up really bad stuff and, um, and it was not a good situation. You know, the, the world uh, speaks of, for the Jews, slavery. They became enslaved, if you would, to the world. And the Jews were enslaved in Egypt for 450 years. Um, and that's what sin, by the way, that's what the world wants to do, get you in bondage. Um, it's an amazing thing to, to see how sin uh, is, is really that which throws you in a prison cell. Uh, we think it's exercising our liberty and our freedom to, to sin, but it's actually that which locks you down. Just ask Samson. Remember when Samson kept compromising? Little compromise after little compromise. But eventually, how does Samson, the strongest man in the world, uh, you know, he killed all these thousands and thousands of Philistines and stuff. How did he end up? He ended up blinded with his eyes poked out, uh, bound up in chains and fetters, grinding at a wheel, um, and the Philistines laughing as he was weak now. Uh, what a sad story the story of Samson is. Uh, what, a, what a great lesson uh, for you guys to teach your kids and grandkids and, you know, that uh, sin blinds and it binds and it grinds. That's exactly what Samson ended up doing. Blinded, grinding at the will, bound up in chains and fetters. But that's the goal of the enemy. The enemy wants to keep you in slavery, in bondage. Sin leads to bondage. Um, you know, how many guys thought that, that when, you, when, you know, when they're in, you know, grade school and they saw that first pornographic image, um, how many guys thought, this is gonna be the chains around my life, uh, the first image. How many, how many times did a guy take up you know, that beer and think, I am now going to be in bondage to alcohol and stuck in alcoholism and uh, I'm going to be a drunkard? Uh, like how many people started out you know, saying they're gonna, they're gonna be bound up? But that's what happens. Sin wants to bind you up. And it's not just those. I mean, there's a long list of sins that want to bind you up. And it's always that little compromise that gets you in the door. Um, have you guys seen that there's uh, national news right now floating around about, you know, Oregon, you know, because we were one of the early legalizers of all the drugs and stuff. And um, it's interesting because um, they're, they're kind of now after a few years saying, how's that working out for Oregon? Well, um, we that live in Oregon, if you're watching online, some of our brothers around watching online, it's not working out very good. Um, uh, really, really bad. Uh, which was one of the guys, what's his name, Blumenauer or something? That guy, he was pro-pot back in the day. Now he's kind of on this thing saying, yeah, that wasn't such a great idea. Like, like some of the guys that were supporting all that, the legalization of marijuana, stuff like that, they're, they're seeing that it's not, it's not going well. There's a lot of people's lives being ruined and there's a whole you know, epidemic of, of all kinds of problems with drugs and the fentanyl and the deaths and stuff like that. Um, I was talking to one of our law enforcement officers. We have a lot of police officers here at Athey, which we're thankful for, uh, and we want to support those guys because they don't get support. I always tell, I, I hope they don't think I'm insulting them, but I always, when I see a police officer from the Portland or Gresham area, I say, you're crazy. 
Like, why would you do a job where you have zero support? <laughs> like, like, you know, and I, I mean that jokingly because, it, um, man, it's such a tough place to be a police officer. But one of the police officers I was talking to mentioned how um, his job description seems to have changed over a long time, time period because um, it's more like, uh, it's more grim than people imagine. You know, when you sign up to be a law enforcement, you want to protect and serve. But this one officer says it's like almost daily they have to go into some house where some guy has been dead for a month because he died of some drug overdose. And it's got this gory scene where they got to, you know, extract this dead body from a house. It's stinking the house and the neighbor, neighborhood. Like, like it's just, the, you don't sign up for something like that. But, but that's the kind of stuff they're seeing. It's gory, it's depressing. Um, uh, and and that's, that's kind of where, you know, nobody will show that on the news um, uh, about what's happening really with people's lives. Um, this, this idea of inching away uh, compromise, um, don't leave Egypt. Uh, Egypt being a type of the world, that's why I've uh, titled this first compromise of Satan, don't leave the world. And that's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants you to uh, you know, not leave worldliness. Uh, don't be too Christian. Uh, you know, isn't it funny how men today just seem to be looking for ways to sort of still be just like everybody else in the world and still be technically a Christian? Um, and I think that's kind of not a good, good way to go. Um, you know, Jesus told us uh, that we are to be of his kingdom, not of this world. Uh, we're set our sights on the kingdom that's above and not on the things of this earth. Jesus said in John 18, 36, he said, Jesus um, answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? That I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. This is something he was trying to help his disciples and his followers to know. He wasn't setting up his kingdom in this earth, on this earth, fighting against the Romans. He was saying, my kingdom's not of this world, but he wants us to be part of his kingdom. Um, and that's why Paul reminded the Philippian church, who had a real love in his heart for the Philippians, he said, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So even though um, you know, the, the Jews uh, were there in slavery, um, Pharaoh was trying to make this compromise, just, yeah, stay in slavery, st stay here in Egypt, uh, but yeah, worship God, do whatever, uh, but, but we don't want you to get out of here. And I think that same tactic is what the enemy's doing right now. You know, the scriptures tell you and me as guys, we're, we have to be in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. Um, I, hope, I hope you're not getting really comfortable being in this world. Um, I wonder if you and I as men, if we should kind of look at ways to say, uh, once in a while check up and say, am I really, really comfortable with worldliness and godlessness? Um, because I see not only individual men doing that, but I see entire churches and ministries sort of saying, how can we be relevant? Um, you know, in the Super Bowl, there's gonna be that big ad, um, which I'm, I'm a little apprehensive. What's it called? Uh, he, he gets us. And I, maybe it's good, maybe it's, but I sense, I sense something a little wacko there, honestly. Um, just as a Bible teaching pastor, for whatever that's worth, um, he gets us. And they're really trying to reach out to the LGBTQIA, BCDEFG, um, <laughs> two plus, uh, minus, whatever. <laughs> like the list gets longer and longer. Um, um, but they're trying to, you know, say Jesus really gets that. Now, and I understand, I understand there is a side where Jesus gets sinful people like all of us. He gets, we're all sinners. 
But I'm not sure that that, it's gonna be interesting uh, to see how that message, but you know, they're spending, this outfit is spending a billion dollars on this campaign uh, to, and and so, you know, my question is, what's the result gonna be and what's the message? If the message is, man, you're a sinner and you need to be saved and repent of your sins and follow Jesus Christ, I'm all for it. Uh, More power to them. But if the message is, yeah, you're good enough the way you are, you're enough. Um, God loves you the way you are. Uh, that, that, that's the wrong message. Um, and it sounds so accepting and so diverse and so happy. Uh, no, um, that should be a dead giveaway that it's wacko and sinful and from Satan himself. So I'm not sure, we'll see. Uh, forgive me if I'm misquoting that or we'll see. But, but I, I sense there's something a little wacko on that uh, and I'm concerned. You know, there was a day where uh, preachers used to preach, you know, repentance uh, salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And now we've, we've really lost that message and we forget that it's all part of this little compromise where we, where we don't really stand our ground with the gospel and say there's really only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ. We need men that are men of conviction who stand on the truth and not be willing to sort of inch our way into trying to be accepted into this world. Um, by the way, um, even after the Jews left Egypt, um, when, when God delivered them, I mean, what an amazing deliverance. If, if you think about it, I mean, um, you know, Egypt, you know, Pharaoh said, who is this God of Israel uh, that can move my hand? Well, the Lord showed him with those plagues of Egypt. You know, there was some massive, massive plagues of Egypt. And by the way, when this compromise was made or suggested this, um, don't leave Egypt, don't just stay right here and worship your God. He'd already been through four of the plagues um, the first plague was the blood. You know, the, even the Nile River turned into blood. The second fl- plague was frogs. And Pharaoh's finally like, okay, get Moses in here and, and um, get rid of the frogs. Um, and remember Moses said, well, when would you like me to get rid of the frogs? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. Which is one of the funniest scriptures in all the Bible. Like, why didn't he say, right now, I'm sick of these frogs. Get them rid of now. One more night with the frogs. That's what Pharaoh wanted. <laughs> That's just like us, man. The stink of sin. We're like, yeah, well, one more night with pornography. One more night with uh, my addictions and my sinful things. You know, one more night. Uh, just one more time. Uh, that, that's what was going on there. But, but there was no suggestion of compromise by Pharaoh after the frogs. He just said, okay. But then he said no again. Uh, and then lice. And then flies. So flied lice. And it was just a really bad time. So you got all these four plagues, and now after the four plagues, uh, uh, Pharaoh says, okay, um, just stay in Egypt. Don't go, don't go out of Egypt. But Moses says, I'm not gonna make that compromise. So he's gonna have to go through more plagues. But as the plagues, I mean, all these plagues come, and finally, Egypt is defeated. Even their firstborn, everybody's dead, and it's like this horrible defeat of this horrible nation, um, and the Jews go free. And you, not only that, you got the Red Sea parting, and the Jews going down. Like, wouldn't you think the Jews after that would say, thank you, Lord, for delivering us from slavery of Egypt? But what's so shocking about that story is human nature, and, and you and I are just like these guys. Uh, I'm not saying we're any better than the Jews. In fact, we might even be worse. But think about it. All that stuff happened. God delivered them from slavery, where they're being whipped by the taskmasters of Egypt. And they get through the Red Sea, Egypt's wiped out, and then all you hear the Jews talk about are the good old days back in Egypt. Can I show you that a little bit? In fact, why don't you, uh, let's, do, um, let's do a little bit of a... Um, 
a quick survey of that because it's funny. Notice the, uh, some of the draws of Egypt that they refer to later. The first draw of Egypt, they refer, there's actually more than what I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you my top three. Um, they desired the safety, the, the perceived safety. Were they safe in Egypt as slaves? No, remember Pharaoh was gonna kill all their baby, did kill all the baby boys. Is that a safe place to be raising a family? Um, but look at Exodus 14. Just flip the page forward just real quick. In Exodus 14, verse 10. Um, Exodus 14, 10, it says, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were so afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Is that the right perspective? Um, no, these guys are totally whacked, but that's humanity, we're pretty whacked. Um, but Pharaoh may have been their enemy, but they're saying, but at least, but at least he wasn't trying to kill us in Egypt, but I remind you, yes, he was trying to kill them. Uh, that, that very same Pharaoh was the one that said, man, Israel, the, the slaves are getting too strong, so we need to kill all the babies, uh, boys, to weaken them. Um, you know, but that was a perceived, we, 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 we love the good old days in Egypt. I wonder how many of us have thought, you know, maybe you accepted Christ and you got out of Egypt, but you still have that longing for, that draw for the good old days when you were enslaved to that sin. There's something about human nature, we remember stuff that wasn't that good as if it was somehow better. The second one is they desired the supplies of Egypt. And when I say supplies, a lot of, they, they, you hear them talk about food. Look at Numbers uh, chapter 11, flip maybe an eighth of an inch or what uh, through your Bible over to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 11 uh, it says here in Numbers 11, verse four. Um, now this is after the Red Sea incident. Numbers 11, four says, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. That, that cracks me up. A lusting we will go, a lusting we will. Like that's, it's a funny little way of putting it. They fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember, uh-oh, the, the old uh, faded memory of Egypt. Let's see how they remember Egypt. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlics. Garlic, well, that sounds delicious. Uh, not. Verse six, where's the ribeye? Yeah, it's like, where's the ribeye, the potatoes? Uh, but the uh, onions, leeks, and garlic. Um, but now our soul, verse six, is dried away, and there is nothing at all beside this manna from before our eyes. Um, and then it talks about how they were sick of manna. But, but isn't it interesting? They, they, they say something that's so untrue. We did eat freely. Were they free? No, they were slaves. They, they forgot that part. But they remembered the good old days when they had fish and onions, leeks and mel melons and all this stuff. So they were desiring those, you know, supplies. Um, you know, it's interesting how um, many of God's children also succumb to the pull of the world um, when they feel unable to trust the Lord for provision. 
It's almost like I've seen it so many times where, where a guy will um, sort of, you know, when he was in the world, things were going along fine and you accept Christ to become a Christian. And then when things don't go quite the way you'd hoped, you remember how, how much easier it was before you were saved. But that's really not the proper, true perspective. I think the enemy whispers, you know, remember how great it was back in those days? Um, you know, we've seen that with the glory days guys, you know, to talk about, well, yeah, when I was in high school, those were good times. And, you know, and, and all these old geezers telling the poor high school kids, these are gonna be the best days of your life. And the kid's like, really? That's depressing. Uh, but you've forgotten how bad high school was. You forget. You, you, maybe you remember just the good stuff and you've forgotten all the bad stuff. Uh, that's human nature sometimes. But, um, but as it turns out, you are taught, I am taught as a Christian, that we're supposed to trust the Lord as it turns out and know that he's gonna provide for us even when it doesn't seem likely or possible. I love Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Um, that su supply of the Lord is not gonna run out. He's gonna take good care of us. But sometimes it requires faith to trust the Lord's gonna take care of us. And the Lord does take care of the Jews through the wilderness wanderings. The whole time, the Lord takes care of them. But they're remembering the good old days back in Egypt. So the, the first draw, they desired the safety of Egypt. Second, they desired the supplies of Egypt. But thirdly, they desired the spirits of Egypt. And I use the S's there to keep the, the continuation there. But in Exodus 32, um, you remember that story where the Jews uh, were frustrated because Moses was up on Mount Sinai. They figured he was probably dead, even though he wasn't. Um, and so they start partying down. It's, it's, um, it's Exodus uh, 32, uh, verse one. It says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as uh, this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, uh, break off the golden earrings and what, uh, what, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people broke off their golden earrings which was in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Does anybody remember where they got all the golden earrings and stuff? The Egyptians, when they got out, the, the Egyptians started throwing all their gold at them just saying, yeah, just get out of here. You know, the plagues are killing us. Get all, and they, they gave all their wealth to the Jews too. Like that's crazy. But that's why they were all, you know, blinging it out here with their gold earrings and stuff. Uh, and, and so Aaron says, you know, give me all that stuff, verse four. And he received them uh, at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it into a molten calf and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered uh, uh, burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now that means they weren't going out to play Frisbee. Uh, the, the, the word play there is actually a sexual connotation. They were, you know, they were sexually immoral uh, in what they were doing. Verse seven, and the Lord said unto Moses, go and get thee down for thy people. <laughs> He's like, your people, uh, Moses, which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I have commanded them. They have made a molten calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed thereunto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel. Verse nine, the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Um, 
This is, this is such a sad part of the story where the people said, we'd rather have the gods, um, the evil spirits, which that's what they were, by the way. The, the gods of Egypt weren't just idols that were deaf, dumb, and blind. There was a notion of evil spirits behind all of those things that they worshiped. Um, and they desired those evil spirits that were linked to the idolatry and the golden calf. People say, why would they like to worship golden calves? Uh, what a weird thing. But it wasn't about the golden calf. It was really about the sexual immorality that would happen around the golden calf and the way that they would worship that was so perverted and what have you. But I could just go on and on. There's just, there's just three, but all throughout the narrative, the Jews are constantly, we remember the good old days in Egypt. We wish we were back and worshiping their gods and we wish we were eating the food of Egypt and living like Egyptians again. Um, so these guys, you know, when we look back at the things which occupied our minds in the world, um, it seems like sometimes we begin to desire those things again. Um, maybe some of you worshiped money before you were saved. And you have that proclivity to go back to that endeavor. Some of you, it's sex or power, attention, possessions. Uh, the gods of this world can be a strong pull uh, to a man to go back into the world's grip. Um, and that's what Satan wants to do. Uh, and that's, that's what we're talking about here. Back to our, uh, so point number one, we, we see, you know, uh, don't, don't leave the world. Just stay in Egypt, be an Egyptian, worship your God, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but stay in the world. And, and the, remember we talked about this last time, sanctification. Remember we did that on, on our last Ironworks? Come ye out from among them, be ye separate. That was our message last time. And that's part of this point. Uh, don't, don't leave the world, Satan will say. Well, point number two, compromise number two that Satan will wanna do for you is don't get too radical. Don't be too radical. Uh, so, so if he can't keep you in Egypt, what does he do? Well, that's where we go to back to chapter eight of Exodus, flip back to chapter eight. And, uh, and it's not long after his first compromise, don't leave Egypt was first compromise, don't leave the world. The second one is chapter eight, uh, verse 28. Um, it says, and Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. And Moses said, behold, I will go out from thee and will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people tomorrow. But let Pharaoh deal deceitfully no more uh, in not letting the, uh, the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Um, so, so what's the next compromise? The first compromise, don't leave Egypt. When Moses said, uh, no. By the way, this is, all, um, this is all compromise that he's suggesting on the first four plagues. Uh, he's, making, he's making two compromise suggestions after the fourth plague of the flies. But the second one is, well, okay, okay, okay you can leave Egypt, but just don't go very far away. That's what, that's what Moses, Moses hears from Pharaoh. Don't, don't go, you can do it, but just don't, don't leave Egypt too far. If Satan can't keep you brothers in the world, and being worldly and godless and Egyptians, then he'll say, cool, whatever, cool. You can be a, a, be a Christian, but don't, don't be too radical. Don't, you know, don't, don't get too holy. Don't be a, one of these weirdo Christian men. Be a, a worldly man that happens to be saved and you know, saved by grace through faith, you'll get to heaven. But don't, you know, like I believe Satan loves that compromise because that's a dangerous place for a man to be. 
A man finds himself very vulnerable if he just kind of hangs out near Egypt. I'm worried that we've become a group of men in, in our culture, in our, in our, particularly as American men, you know, kind of trying to push the limits of how far we can go and still be in the saved category. You know, I mean, like churches are trying to find that. You know, where, where can we still be relevant and hip and cool with the world um, and, uh, and, and try to reach people? Like, like we do it for even perhaps good reasons. Uh, we want to reach people. Um, and so it, it always cracks me up how, you know, how prone we are to just sort of trying to be worldly to ca- uh, catch the world. Um, and I'm not sure that ever really works. I think the world looks at a Christian man that's trying to be sort of worldly, but sort of not. And the world looks at him and says, what a weirdo. Like, like I've noticed there's a thing where the world looks at a guy who's trying to be like the world and says, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And aren't you supposed to, be? like the world even knows more than oftentimes we do that we are supposed to be different than the world. And the world is not easily convinced um, you know, uh, I've noticed like all these churches that are trying to be cool with, well, we, we are really into alcohol. We, you know, we'll, we'll serve beers at our home fellowships and there's local pastors that we're talking about their favorite mis- mixed drinks and all this stuff. Brett, you're just a legalistic guy. You Athey Creek leadership guys don't drink alcohol, a bunch of teetotalers. Well, as it turns out, yeah, at Athey Creek, what's, what's our position on alcohol? Well, the, the truth is, I don't believe the Bible bans alcohol, not even close. Jesus drank wine, uh, and it wasn't Welch's grape juice. Uh, I know that. Um, and so a lot of you guys are like, yeah, all right. Well, at least you think that. But, but, but then why does your staff and leadership say, if we're going to be part of the team here at Athey, then why do you legalistically uh, make us not drink alcohol here as a... Well, uh, first of all, it's not a legalistic thing. It's a get-to, not a got-to. Here's the posture we've taken. You know, Proverbs, you know, Solomon, who knew about alcohol, um, he, he talked about this, you know, and even was reminding, it's not for kings or rulers to be given to strong drink, lest you forget the law and pervert good judgment. And First Timothy, uh, you know, chapter three, when talking to the bishop and the deacon, the elders, um, you know, he, it says that those guys particularly be careful not to be given to much wine. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the elders in the King James is not given to wine. And then the deacon is not to be given much wine. So if you want to be a deacon, man, you can, uh, you know. Uh, but I don't believe that's the, what it was saying. That's not what it was saying. Um, you know, and by the way, Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, people say, I'm just being like Jesus, bottoms up, you know. I'm just drinking my alcohol like Jesus. Well, if you want to be like Jesus, do you remember what Jesus, one of the last things Jesus said before he said, I will not be given to the fruit of the vine until I come again. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus is not, like that's, a, that's an interesting sideline note. But it's not out of legalism. It's actually the reason Aetha Creek leadership and guys here, we don't drink alcohol is, is more out of love. That's the reason we do it. Because as it turns out, tons of people at Aetha Creek are really struggling with alcohol. It's not just a, it's not just a small problem. There's a lot of dudes that are struggling with too much alcohol and not knowing you know, how much is enough. Um, and uh, you know, the, whole, the whole destroying families and lives and stuff, that's something we see all the time. And some of our leadership guys, a bunch of our leadership guys are guys that were formerly really struck with that whole plague of alcoholism themselves. And so it's been, you know, um, guys on our team that are saying, man, I, we can't do it because we were once so addicted. We, you know, we're gonna 
really fight that battle. And, and so we all kind of stand with those guys and say, man, we're gonna, we're gonna do that. Um, alcohol has, has hurt so many people. We're, we're kind of like, let's, let's just try to be you know, more of a get to. Let's, let's do our best to, to not cross that line. Now, because of that, there's a lot of churches like, well, Lazy Creek's just a bunch of legalistic, you know, teetotalers over there. It's not our heart, not our, not our attitude. Uh, we look at it as a get to, not a got to. Well, what if I wanna be on the leadership team and I like having a beer during the Super Bowl? Um, we, we totally encourage you, that's great. God bless you with that. Uh, but remember, drunkenness is gonna mess you up. So just remind there of that. And, it, and, and it's just a, a thing that we've decided uh, as a team of guys to say, if you wanna be part of our team, great. Then, but you need, to, you need to just kinda leave the beer back at Safeway. Uh, that's, your, that's your choice. Um, and if you find that limiting, well, tough bananas. Uh, that's just the way it is here at Atheon. That, that, you, there's a bunch of churches I can recommend. I really can. I can, uh, I can recommend some good churches that don't have that, that kind of a rule. Um, and, uh, and I'm not saying it's what every church should do, but that's what the Lord has called us at Athey Creek to do. So, um, but it has to do with this notion. Um, instead of asking, how far can we go and push the limit? Um, and still be Christians and still be within the pale of orthodoxy or whatever. Uh, we're trying to ask the question, how far holy can we be? How far set apart and sanctified can we be? Um, we ask the wrong question. Best question, how sold out for the Lord, for Jesus Christ, can we be? Um, and so in this area of not getting too radical, Satan wants to lure you as Christian men. Uh, if he can't keep you in the world, he wants to keep you near the world. Just dabbling with stuff. Oh, it seems so innocent at first. It seems like it's not gonna hurt you or mess you up at all. But before long, you find yourself stuck in a rut and wondering what happened. Um, this is a big, big problem. Okay, so compromise number two, don't get too radical. So don't, don't leave Egypt was first compromise. Second was don't get too radical. Now, uh, Pharaoh finally, and Moses rejects that. And Pharaoh finally says, okay, whatever. And he says, you're gonna be slaves. And, and he makes things worse for the slaves. So then the Lord sends the plague of murrain, which was the death to all the livestock and animals of Egypt. And after murrain was the boils. And then after the boils was the hail uh, that caused fire. To, so like, think of the destruction that's happening to Egypt so far. Um, <clears throat> and so finally, Pharaoh, after the hail, the seventh plague, he, he calls Moses in once again, and now he wants to try the next compromise. And you'll be shocked at what he suggests. Uh, it's in chapter 10. And the third suggestion of compromise is leave your kids behind. You can go, but leave your kids behind. It's, it's Exodus chapter 10, uh, right there in verse, let's, let's start in verse eight. So it says, and Moses and Aaron were brought again before Pharaoh and said unto them, go, serve your Lord, your God, but who are they that shall go? And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters and our flocks and with our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. Pharaoh's suggesting like, which one of you guys are gonna go? And Moses like, uh, all of us? Um, but verse 10, and so he said unto them, oh, let the Lord be so with you as I will let you go. And your little ones look to it for evil is before you, not so. 
This is King James. This is one of the hardest King James uh, sentences in all the Bible. Did you, did you hear what we just read? Uh, let me read that again because it's kind of funny. He said, this is Pharaoh, says unto them, verse 10, let the Lord be so with you as I will let you go and your little ones look to it for evils before you, not so. Go now, therefore, you are that are men and serve the Lord for that you did desire and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. What, what's going on there? Well, basically Pharaoh's saying, uh, who wants to go? And Moses, our young and our old, we're all gonna go. And Pharaoh said, not so. You that are men go, go worship your God, leave, you're free. Um, but leave your, your kids behind because uh, we need slaves here in Egypt. Uh, now, now you say, what dad in his right mind would ever make that agreement to leave the kids behind in Egypt? Um, that's such a dastardly, horrible, like what dude with a pulse would make that mistake? And the answer, ask the men of America today because we're doing the exact same thing. We're leaving our kids behind in the dust of Egypt while we're doing our own thing. We might even have our own walk with the Lord squared away. We might even be, you know, well, at least I'm saved. At least I'm going to church and doing the right thing and I read my Bible. But you say, well, Brett, how are we leaving our kids one of the worst things that's happening right now in our culture is men are not defending their, the, the children. We're not standing up for children. This is something that Satan is just having a field day with this compromise to leave our kids. Well, how are we um, leaving our kids behind? Well, I think it starts seemingly innocent when we're just hardworking men and we just don't have time. We don't have time to do family devos. We don't have time to check in and see how our kids are doing and take time to press in to their lives. And, and so we're busy, hardworking. And, and some of us check the dad box because we, 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 there's dinner on the table. And that's kind of a notion that a lot of men have adopted, but that's where it starts. And, um, and then it starts creeping into more sinister levels where you don't even know what your kids are doing. Uh, you want to be their friend, uh, which I always crack up when men try to be buddies with their children. You're not the buddy of your children. You're the dad. You're the father. Uh, I hope none of you guys are doing that whole buddy thing with your kids. Huge mistake. Now, once your children are adults, you can kind of go in more of the buddy mode, which is kind of fun. That's a fun era of being a dad. Um, but when they're kids, you are not their buddy. Uh, you're the enforcer of righteousness and the teacher <laughs> of wisdom. You are the one that is supposed to direct and call the shots and steer. So many men have taken this pass and well, whatever, you know, the kids will figure it out, you know, and, and all this. And, and, they, and, and we throw our kids to the wolves thinking that everything's gonna be great. Um, if you follow the way of the world today, you will lose your kids. That's just the way it's going. If you just send your kids off to school, public or even Christian school for that matter, <laughs> There's a Christian school here locally that um, one of the teachers, um, you know, was telling their students, you know, whatever you do, uh, you know, don't go to Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. And it's one of the Christian schools here locally. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it's, it's sad to see, you know, George Fox, same thing. There was some uh, people that, <laughs> one of our staff guys who also goes to George Fox was in a class and said the same thing. Whatever you do, don't go to AC Creek. You can, and they gave a list of, you know, churches they should go to. You want to know one of the things that's most hostile right now, um, churches and organizations about AC Creek, is the fact that we don't have women pastors and elders. Um, this is funny because, you know, 20 years ago, most churches were still what we call complementarian church. We believe that men and women complement each other and we have different roles. Um, we don't have women pastors at Athey Creek. 
And, and by the way, we have something that kind of helps us defend our position, a little thing called the Bible. The Bible is really clear on this one. And you can twist it and turn it and tweak it and say, oh, that was just Paul talking in the cultural time and stuff. Hogwash, not even close to being true. Just take an honest read of your Bible and you'll be shocked at how, well, and, and our world so much hates that. Uh, but, but it's interesting because we're finding a lot of hostility from outside organizations and people groups and parachurch organizations and colleges and stuff. They're, they're basically saying because Athey Creek has too much testosterone. Um, there's not enough you know, women doing the, the leading at Athey. And by the way, um, the women that we have at Athey Creek are incredible. We have incredible, talented, smart women. We have women on our administrative team. They're just not elders and pastors. It's not that men and women, men are better than women. It's so ridiculous, the, the charges that some of these people make. But isn't it interesting? The church is more divided on that than ever. And we're becoming the minority on this one. And, and a lot of churches, they're compromising in that area. And then you mark my words, as the churches have compromised in that specific area, we're watching the church freak out doctrinally and they're, they're losing their way. And these churches are wondering, why is nobody coming back to our churches? Why are dollars, you know, uh, failing? And, and I have to say, you know, it hurts us at Athe Creek to see churches failing. We pray for other churches. We pray for these ministries because we don't want to see people fail. But they're blaming the economy and they're blaming this and that of why the churches are failing. But I'm just saying, I said it on Wednesday night, I'll say it again right now. If we get back to what the Bible teaches, even if it hurts, even if it goes against the world, Egypt, even if it goes against the culture, um, we don't want to compromise what the Bible says. But as it turns out, one of those big compromises Satan wants to do is have us leave our kids behind. And men are the ones that should stand up and take that back. Well, how are we leaving our kids behind? Well, we're, we're sending them off to public school uh, with all the different um, indoctrinization that's happening there. Uh, and a lot of us don't even care. It's like, yeah, well, our Junior, I'll t if something comes up, I'll talk to him about it. Oh, you gotta be more active than that. Obviously, abortion is basically the Moloch of uh, modern days. As abortion, you know, one in three women uh, in America have had an abortion, which means one in three of you guys, uh, of us, have been a part of that. And, and people forget the male role in abortion, which is uh, the men should take leadership and ownership of those things. More and more though today, our kids are being thrown to the wolves and, and men are not doing, I think, enough about it. Um, kids are being exposed to adult sexuality in an alarming rate right now. Um, um, but, and, and, and what's really shocking, and, and I hope you understand this, you know, it's not just the predator or pornography or entertainment that's doing it, it's that, but it's the classroom right now. Um, one of the most obvious ways this is happening is uh, what proponents call comprehensive sexual education or sexuality education, CSE. And it's adopted by the Oregon schools. Uh, man, I, I don't know if you know, uh, you can go on the Oregon education website and see what they're, uh, I forget, they've got a long one, TG, uh, or um, what is it, uh, LGBTQ TIA 2 plus A or something. Like there's a long, it's too long to remember all the, even the president, did you notice he doesn't know how to say it either? Um, <laughs> even though he's a proponent of that. CSE is mandated in many states, including Oregon, uh, groups like that are leading the charge in writing curriculum, advocates for youth, 
an LGBT activist organization. You wanna know who the biggest nation provider of curriculum for education in our schools? Planned Parenthood. That's the number one provider of sex ed curriculum. And SECUS, uh, Sex Ed for Social Change. Uh, and their names should explain their agenda. Um, but I know, I think you guys know this is happening, but I, 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 the reason I say that and wonder is, um, what are we doing about it? I, you know, there's, there's a few guys at Athey Creek that are going to school board meetings and, and raising the questions, and I, I'm so thankful for those guys. But I do wonder if we need, like, all of us to start showing up at the, at the board meetings, because it's your kids, and it's your grandkids. Um, oh, Brad, it's not that bad. Newburgh, if you live in Newburgh, what happened to Newburgh? You think Newburgh, this nice little sleepy little town, and you think, oh, that, that, there's none of that going on there. Um, it's one of the epicenters of what's going on right now with, with that. And there's a battle being fought over there. And we have Christians that are just trying to hang on over there in Newburgh. And we gotta be praying for those guys. Um, um, what's going on? Well, like things like this. The, um, one of the things, um, do you remember when pedophilia was bad? Brett, oh, come on, are you kidding me? Well, well, um, about 20 years ago, I said that you know, they're gonna start normalizing pedophilia and, and people thought I was nuts. But that's well underway now. Um, this is kind of what you'll see with that. I brought a little video. This is very typical of Satan slowly creeping into our culture and people thought I was nuts suggesting that this was starting to creep into our culture, but now it's really loud and clear. Uh, listen to this professor uh, of, a, of a college and university uh, right, uh, right here. Thanks so much for that question. Um, I use the term minor attracted person or MAP uh, in the title and throughout the book for multiple reasons. Um, first of all, because I think it's important to use terminology for groups that members of that group want others to use for them. Um, and MAP advocacy groups like Before You Act um, have advocated for use of the term MAP. Um, they've advocated for it primarily because it's less stigmatizing than other terms like pedophile. Uh, a lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. Uh, and that isn't true, and it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. Um, I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, though, that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children. Uh, but using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to uh, doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. Yeah, the, um, it sure seems to me like the next crusade of the gender queer brigade is to normalize pedophilia or at least the desire. See, that's, that's, that's the compromise part. They're not, this person is not um, suggesting that pedophilia is wonderful. But what they are saying is that the, um, the, the desire behind pedophilia is perfectly normal and should not be demonized. Um, and that's just, we've been watching this for the last 40, 50 years, just the norm, slowly normalizing things that are sinful and wrong. Um, Satan is slowly creeping into our culture and, and, and our kids are the target right now. And I, that's what's shocking to me is, is um, it's one thing to see you know, adults make decisions about stuff like this, but not only are we, we um, not worried about pedophilia anymore, it's just a normal behavior and we shouldn't you know, stigmatize a pedophile, call them um, a map instead, um, a minor attracted person. Uh, that's just Satan getting his, it's like the camel getting his nose under the tent 
uh, you know, and eventually you got a camel in the tent. How'd that happen? Um, that's where we are right now. That's where we are right now with sex and culture. Um, you know, we're, um, you, know, uh, you know, doing these surgical procedures that are permanent on children uh, that are uh, deemed transgender and irreversible damage, and that's being normalized. Um, um, I, I do think that dads and grandfathers, grandfathers, fathers, and you single guys, we, we should all be um, saying this is wrong and, and not be afraid to say it and to be vocal about it. It's not, it can't just be Pastor Brett up here yakking away. It's gotta, be, it's gotta be the group of Christian men that are gonna stand and say, this is wrong and we're not gonna allow this and we're gonna protect our children. I think we, it's time to do that. And so, you know, leaving the kids behind, that's what Pharaoh wanted Moses and the children of Israel to do. But um, Moses said, uh, no, we're, we're all gonna go. And so Pharaoh said, tough then, whatever. And so that leads us to the next compromise um, uh, locust came, uh, and then the plague of darkness, and then Pharaoh finally calls him in again. And the fourth, the fourth thing is, don't worry about worship. What? Don't worry about worship. Uh, check out Exodus chapter ten, verse twenty-four. Um, Exodus ten twenty-four. And Pharaoh called to Moses and said, "Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and herds stay, be stayed." Uh, let your little ones go with you. Um, now, pause for a second before we read on. Um, what's the deal, Brad? How are you tying worship in with the flocks and herds? Well, as it turns out, you guys already know this. Um, did the children of Israel survive uh, the wilderness wanderings by eating their flocks and herds? No, that was never part of the plan. Um, the flocks and herds have a whole nother purpose, but that's why they needed the quail from heaven, the manna, um, because they weren't eating uh, of the flocks and herds. Two and a half million people traveling through the wilderness. Um, it'd be really tough to be traveling ranchers and keeping enough animals to feed that many people. Um, it, it would be logistically impossible. So when you, when you think about it, you're thinking you, you can't take your flocks and herds. We kind of think, well, that's about food, but it's actually not, it's about worship. And Moses points that out in the next verse, verse 25. And Moses said, thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. So the final of all the compromises of Pharaoh, Satan is the picture here. He wants you to say, okay, if, you, if I can't keep you in Egypt, I'll try to keep you at least close to Egypt. If I can't keep you close to Egypt, I'll have you leave your children behind. And if I can't keep your children, then I'm gonna make sure that you're that you're not gonna really worry too much about worship God or serving. The idea here of, of the flocks and herds, it's actually about worship, about prayer, about song, about giving, about serving, a, a man wanting to serve the Lord. That, that's what Pharaoh was trying to take away and taking away the animals. And that's what Moses is saying. We want, we're gonna serve the Lord so not one hoof will be left behind. And it's, it's something that men particularly need to understand. We need to be worshipers. We need to be servers of the Lord and, and be, be a part of that. 
Um, not just to be a lone ranger doing our own thing as a Christian. Uh, you know, you might even be doing good. Maybe you're not part of the world. Maybe you're 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 doing good as far as you know training up your children. Um, but if you're not willing to worship the Lord yourself and have that personal relationship with the Lord and 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 serving Him um, on any given Sunday, by the way, across the world, churches are likely to have more women in the pews than men. Uh, and that's, that's pretty radical. In fact, some estimates place the so-called gender gap in the church in America is 61% of women versus 39% of men, as it turns out. That's the, that's the gap, 61% of women. And, and by the way, um, there's all kinds of studies as to why that is. Uh, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I've heard all kinds of funny arguments that basically uh, some say that things like humility and submitting to God and submitting to one another is sort of feminine characteristic, so men aren't really drawn to that. I'm not really sure about that. Um, some studies say, well, it's all about the decor. So many churches are too feminine. Um, I did a wedding once in a church, and I, I have to admit, I almost went into cardiac because everything was pink and purple and, and lavender, and I walked in, just like, ah! Like, I was like, it just, and it even smelled feminine. Like, I was like, get me out of here. Uh, but, um, and I, maybe there is something to that, I don't know. Um, uh, but, um, but at the same time, what I'm so thankful for about Athey Creek, and, and maybe it's because we're doing what the Bible actually says as far as the women have a role in, in ministry and serving, and we wanna use that to the fullest at Athey Creek. But as it turns out, because we're a complementary church rather than an egalitarian church, egalitarian describes you know the churches that have women pastors and preaching on Sunday and stuff like that. The complementary church, we say uh, men and women should complement one another, not compete against one another. We've been given different roles. Um, but what is it about that, that has really driven men out of the church? I believe there's just a lot, there's too much um, uh, of the guys that are leading perhaps that aren't really guys you'd want your son to turn out like. I think that's something we need to do. And what we need here at Athey Creek is we need more and more men who are serving and helping and ministering here where you would say, that's, that's what I want my son to turn out, like one of those guys. Um, because there's a lot of guys, I think, that are churches where you just don't really see that guy. There's, there's, um, I don't mean to be insulting or sound prideful because I'm not, that's not it at all. I just think that that's where the church has dropped the ball. Um, uh, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, it was always the women teaching Sunday school and it was women doing everything. And, and um, I, I remember when I was a, like even a small child, I kind of thought, well, Christianity is kind of a girl thing. Until I was about 10 years old, um, uh, my, my pastor moved up from uh, um, uh, Southern California. He was this big pearly dude who had a big beard and, and, uh, and he, he wasn't light in the loafers. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was, he was a, like a dude. Um, and he was just teaching the word um, with authority. And I, I remember as a 10-year-old kid, that was one of the best things that happened to me because I realized it wasn't just a girl thing. Um, there's a lot of people that never see that. that, that um, um, and if you read the Bible, by the way, the Bible's full of amazing men. And what I love about it is some of the most worshipful guys. Who's probably the most worshipful guy in uh, the Bible? Um, David, probably, wrote this, many of the Psalms, played musical instruments. Now, before you think of a thespian that's there playing his harp and, and a very light in the loafers, is that who David was? 
No, David's the guy that when Saul said, you can have my daughter, but you need to get 100 foreskins of Philistines. Now, why did Saul say that? Saul said that because how do you get the foreskins of a Philistine uh, for your wedding present? Um, uh, I think Saul wanted David dead, honestly. I think that's why he did that. But what did, does anybody remember what David did? David went and got 200 foreskins. He killed 200 Philistines, got a warm bag of foreskins and hauled it in. To, uh, like this, this, this is... So before you think of David as just a little light in the loafers, okay, let's just lead worship. That's, that's not David. That was not David. Uh, David was killed tens of thousands of men in battle. Uh, that's who David was, but he was a worshiper. Like, and then David, men hung around with David and they became giant killers and did like read the mighty men of David. Like it's an amazing catalog of men that did a, incredible things um, that are, you know, uh, not that we're supposed to go around gathering foreskins, God forbid. <laughs> but uh, this is the kind of thing I don't talk about with the gals here, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but that, that's, that's what, that, I'm talking Bible. This is the Bible. Um, you didn't color that story in Sunday school, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but, but all that to say, uh, while the world sits around and, and we're feeling that pressure from people on the outside of Athey Creek saying, you guys have too much testosterone at Athey Creek, um, I would say we need to step it up as men, not to be ogres or mean, or that, like some people translate that as some like, we're just gonna be dominant, domineering, mean, misogynist. No, um, what we're gonna be is men standing on truth and not movable on things of the Bible. And we're gonna teach our families and not compromise with the world. And we're gonna you know, raise up children who know and love Jesus Christ and, and show them this is the world and they'll know sin for what it is. And then not only that, we're gonna see our families know that while we're men serving, we're gonna also worship and serve the Lord because we believe in, in it. It's something that's valuable to us. And so all that, all that stuff, you know, I think as men, we are called to lead that as, as the church goes. That's what the Bible tells us our role is, to be leaders in that. I believe that sadly, men have been duped in this current culture, some you know, ministries and churches have been duped into just giving one little inch of compromise here and a little inch of compromise there. And, and after years and years, we find ourselves way off course and wondering what in the world happened. And churches are scratching their heads. Why are things failing? And why does nobody wanna to go to church anymore? I think a lot of people have really missed that we've compromised our way slowly but surely just right out of contention, right out of effectiveness. And, and maybe even right out of knowing the Lord at all in some ways. I think, I think some churches you can go to, I'm not sure you even will have a chance to know the Lord personally or accept Christ or be told that you need to repent and be saved. Um, that's something we need to really be concerned about. So, you know, then after compromise number four, the, the, um, the, after the nine plagues, uh, all the way to the locust, the darkness, then after compromise four, Moses said, nope, we're gonna bring our, our animals, our children, our family, we're leaving Egypt. And that's when the Lord sent the plague of death. And the firstborn of, his, of Egypt uh, died there. And that would be the last straw and the Jews would be free from Egypt. Um, you know, it's interesting how uh, today you and I as men, we need to be very careful 
about compromise. Uh, maybe something for you and me for us to pray about. Lord, is there an area of my life personally that I've let something kind of inch its way in? Maybe something that 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you would have said never, but somehow you've let it kind of inch its way into your life. Things that you read or look at or watch, things that you listen to, um, things that you do and with your time or, or things you're not doing with your family or you know, what, what are those little areas where you've just allowed the enemy's compromise to just inch his, his way in, nose of the camel under the tent and uh, before long, you've got a camel in your tent. Uh, watch out, brothers. This is a day where it's not time to mess around. I think Satan is getting more and more bold and there's, there's a, uh, we're seeing a falling away of faith that the Bible talks about would happen in the last days. I believe we're living in a day that we should be as, as careful about this as ever. Uh, remember the old Keith Green record, No Compromise? Um, I remember that song and uh, what, a, what a powerful song, an image of the record. I remember the album cover uh, showed this big buff Babylonian guy on a horse yelling at these two guys because the whole crowd was on their knees bowing before the idol that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up and they're all bowing. I think there was one guy, or maybe two guys, I think it was one guy that was, that was just, he was not gonna bow. And the buff Babylon guy was yelling at him and with fiery face. Uh, and the guy was just standing there humbly, not bowing to this. And, and you know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would be thrown in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down. But they said, even if the Lord doesn't deliver us from the fiery furnace, we're not gonna bow down to your idol. Um, and that's the kind of resolve I think we should have, no compromise. Uh, may the Lord give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Lord, we're thankful for uh, these reminders from your word. And um, I pray that you'd help us as men today, Lord, to, to not be duped uh, by the lures of the enemy, to be uh, inch by inch dragged away from your will, your plan, your purpose. Um, help us, Lord. I pray that when the spirit is willing here in this room, but our flesh is weak out in real everyday life, Lord, I pray that you give us just a supernatural strength by your spirit to have just that renewed hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we'd not be easily compromising in, in those areas that this world would want us to compromise in. Give us strength, give us wisdom. Bless my brothers, Lord. Um, I, I'm so thankful for this group of men and, and for the men of Athe Creek that are leading their families and that are walking with you and not being duped and not easily moved, Lord. I pray for more and more men. I pray that, that there would just be um, an infectiousness of, of godly men walking in truth, that there would be a draw to that from even, even the people out in the world, that they might see whether they agree with it or not, but if they could just see what truth really looks like. Um, I pray that we'd be examples of that, Lord. Help us with that. We do lift up other churches in this area that have perhaps compromised in truth and doctrine, um, wondering what's going on. I, I pray that you would draw them back to your word. Lord, that pastors and churches would be hungry to, to see what your word says about things instead of being um, duped and even dragged by the compromises of this world. So um, restore some of those churches back to safe places for the sheep uh, where they can go and be taught well in your word and following truth. Um, but until then, Lord, I pray your blessing upon these guys. May we walk with you and serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.